Compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxis. I want to thank you for joining us this morning. You came on a really good day to join us. Uh, today we are going to be starting a new series called What is the Church? And for this series we are going to be studying our way through the book of 1 Timothy. Now, before we actually dive into the text, I think it would be appropriate for me to give you some background on Timothy and who he is as a person the church, where he pastored, and the problems that he faced. My original hope was to be able to get through the background information and then to be able to dive into the first part of the book. But that didn't quite work out well for a service. So all we got done was the background of Timothy, the church, and the problems he faced. So that's what we're going to do today. We're just going to focus on the background information. I think there's a lot of good stuff when we do that. Because once we have this understanding of what was going on, it'll just take this entire letter and open it up to you, and it'll make so much better sense. So without any fanfare, we're just going to dive right into our study. So take out your outlines, prepare to take some good notes. You're going to need this stuff as we go through the book. Uh, let's begin by looking at Timothy, and the first question we're going to ask is this, who was Timothy. And when you think of this guy, you need to think of this. Timothy came from a spiritually divided home. We first meet Timothy in Acts chapter 16. Paul was on his second missionary journey at the time. Came to the city of Lystra, which is in modern-day Turkey. And there he was introduced to this young guy named Timothy. His mother was a woman named Eunice. She was a Jewish Christian. His father, though, was a Greek guy who had no interest in Jesus whatsoever. We actually come to learn that uh, Eunice was not the first Christian in the family. You go to 2 Timothy and learn that actually he had a grandmother whose name was Lois. Lois was the first Christian in the family. And Lois taught the faith to her daughter, Eunice, who then taught the faith to her son, Timothy. So what you find is that the faith was being passed down by a really good moms who were busy investing in their children. And I, you just have to picture what life was like for Eunice. She is sort of like one of these single moms who slugs it out for Jesus week after week. You know, midweek, she comes to Awana and she brings Timothy, but she brings him all by herself. She gets no help from dad whatsoever. On the weekends, she gets up early and she gets Timothy to CW Kids, doesn't get any help from the father. At night, he, she prays with Timothy before bed. She reads the Bible stories to Timothy by herself. She prays for Timothy. She, she teaches the Scriptures to Timothy all by herself. Now, how did a nice Jewish Christian girl like Eunice end up married to a Greek guy who doesn't love Jesus? We don't know. But what we do know is this. There's a little saying out there about moms and their importance. You've heard this one before. The hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. 
And the idea is that a mom who puts all kinds of investment into her children often finds those children being used in important ways in society and in important ways for Jesus Christ. And this is exactly what happens with Eunice. She spends all kinds of time training Timothy in the Word, in training Timothy in Jesus Christ, and it all pays off. Because what happens is when Paul comes in town, he meets Timothy, who was a young man in his teens or 20s at that point, and actually he ends up joining Paul for what are the missionary journeys that he goes on. He becomes a traveling companion for Paul for over a decade. Timothy eventually rises up and becomes one of the great leaders in the early church. And I give you this background because I want to take a few minutes to encourage you single moms who are doing everything you can to slug it out, to teach your children about Jesus Christ, and you're doing it all by yourself. And others of you are young women who have kids who aren't single moms, but you're not getting much help from dad at home. You know, Eunice and her son Timothy, they're the ones you want to look to because God often blesses these kind of great sacrifices moms make for their kids, that they would be trained to know Jesus Christ and to know their Bible and to walk hard after Jesus Christ. This is exactly what happened with Eunice and Timothy, and it paid off big time. Incidentally, I don't want to just commend single moms or um, those who don't have any help from dad whatsoever, but I also want to commend some women who have chosen to be stay-at-home moms. They have foregoed a career because they have felt that they needed to be there to try and pour biblical knowledge and biblical truth into their children. And many times God blesses that and uses that in a big way, just like God did for Timothy as his mom sacrificed for him. That's the first thing you need to know about Timothy. He came from a spiritually divided home, but a mom who passionately loved Jesus and taught him diligently the Scriptures. The second thing we need to know about Timothy is he was a young guy. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, Paul says to him, Don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22 uh, Paul says to Timothy, flee the evil desires of youth. Now, the million-dollar question is this. Well, how old is Timothy at this time when he's talking to Timothy about fleeing the evil desires of youth? And so I tried to do a little bit of figuring so I could sort of guess my way through this. Apparently, Timothy was in his late teens or early 20s when he became a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. From there, we know that he spends about 13 or 14 years with Paul, pretty much day in and day out. So that means at this time, he is in his late 30s and or, or early 40s. And the neat part is that Paul says to him, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth and flee the evil desires of youth, and you're in your 40s. Now, I was initially very encouraged by that. Any other middle-aged people feeling good? You know, my back, my shoulders, my knees, they feel like I'm an old man, but the Bible says I'm a young man, so I'm going with that right now. Amen? All right, that's good. So Timothy's a young guy. The 
other thing you need to know about him is he's one of these guys that just needed encouragement along the way. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, Paul says one of his famous lines to Timothy, God did not give us a spirit of timidity. Or as I think it's the NIV translation says, God did not give us a spirit of fear. Timothy is not one of those guys that walks into a room and just lights the place up and becomes the center of attention. He's sort of one of those quiet guys, shy fellas, sort of a wallflower kind of individual. And when it came to conflict, Timothy did not like conflict. He just sort of likes to avoid it and just sort of blend in. What this means is Timothy is ordinary, like each one of us. Because not many people out there are these super charismatic leaders that just walk into a room and light the place up. You know, so Timothy was not one of those natural-born leaders that way, just a normal person like us. Another thing you need to know, uh, Timothy was especially close to Paul. So if you see Timothy and you see what Timothy says, you really are looking very closely at Paul. You say, well, how close are these guys? I already mentioned to you that Timothy pretty much spends 14 years with the Apostle Paul once he starts traveling with him, day in, day out, eating breakfast, eating dinner, sleeping in the same room, having, you know, pouring cups of coffee from the same pot. They are doing life together. In fact, what we find is he's a traveling companion of Paul when Paul goes to Thessalonica, when Paul goes to Corinth, when Paul goes to Jerusalem, when Paul is put in prison in Rome, who is with him in prison as his companion? Timothy. He is right there the whole time. In addition, when Paul was writing letters, letters that actually became our scriptures, who was in the very room with Paul when he was writing those letters? For six of them, Timothy was with him when he was writing Holy Scripture. In fact, if you look at the end of these letters in the New Testament, you find Paul saying, Timothy is with me and sends his greeting. This is for 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and Philemon. Probably very few people are as in touch with the gospel message that Paul preaches as Timothy because they are so incredibly close together. Now, there's one other interesting fact about Timothy that is helpful. Timothy is a guy, oh, I, I mentioned, excuse me, I missed one more. Let me come back up to this. I've missed number four in your outlines. Excuse me with that. Timothy was struggling with health problems. Uh, the scriptures tell us he had a constant gastric issue. We don't know if that he was suffering from dysentery. Uh, maybe the guy had Crohn's disease. Maybe he was just simply lactose intolerant. The Bible doesn't tell us, but it does say in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, where Paul says to Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach and for your frequent illnesses. So what you have when you picture Timothy is a guy who is probably relatively skinny, not physically impressive, it's always grabbing his stomach and running to the water closet at the most inopportune times. 
not that physically impressive, young, quiet, you know, sort of frail. But he understands the gospel. And he understands the gospel very well. He has a good biblical background. His mom taught it to him. He's been with Paul for 14 years, day in and day out. To see him is to see Paul. And here's the other thing you need to understand. He is deeply committed, deeply committed to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with anybody he can. And he'll do whatever it takes to be able to do that. You wonder, how, how do I get this bit of information about that? In Acts chapter 19, when Paul and Timothy meet, and it's time for Timothy to join Paul on the missionary journeys, we know that Paul will be working among the Jews. And Timothy was not a circumcised man because his father was a Greek. So the Bible says that Paul circumcised Timothy so they could work among the Jews freely and they wouldn't be distracted by that particular issue. Now, I just got thinking about this. When it came time for me to go on a mission trip, I was like flinching when I had to take a couple like shots. Timothy willingly offers himself up to be circumcised as an adult male before the invention of Novocaine. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, this guy, he is deeply committed to doing whatever it takes to be able to share the gospel, even if it hurts. So that's the picture you have of Timothy. Young, skinny, but knows his Bible and knows it well. Now let's talk about the church that he pastored. He pastored a church in the city of Ephesus. Now let me see what you need to know about Ephesus. The first thing you need to understand is that Ephesus was an important city. When I say the name Ephesus, for most of us, that doesn't bring up much in the way of associations. But it's actually a huge and important city in the ancient world. Go ahead and put that city up there, Jeremy. Sorry for the pixelization on this, but you can see I circled where Ephesus is, and even in the pixelization, you should be able to, to understand its significance in the ancient world. All the cities to the right side on the interior, most of the stuff that went to them that was shipped in from Rome and around the world went through the port of Ephesus. And everything that they shipped to Rome, which would be the boot in the left-hand side, it almost all left through the port of Ephesus. So Ephesus is a, a city of commerce and trading. Over the years, it has become an extremely wealthy city. It is, at this time, the fourth largest city in the entire Roman Empire. That is like saying it is a city like Houston, Texas. Houston, Texas is the fourth largest city in America. It is a big city. Now, Houston, Texas is over two million. <laughs> Ephesus is not that big, but it's big by the standards of the ancient world. It has about 250,000 people in the city at this time. Um, square footage-wise, it's relatively packed. It's definitely larger than Spencer, but it's a little bit smaller than Clay County. As for a city, it is a highly cultured city and not just a wealthy city. Let me show you a couple pictures of what it was like around town. First of all, this is the picture of the 
amphitheater at Ephesus. And you can see they have a lot of seats in there because they have a lot of people that go to the public performances and public plays. But it's a cultured city where they have these kind of things. The next picture. This is the library at Ephesus. Not many cities in the ancient world have a library. They have a library. It is a huge library. I think you can see the size of the people in the front. It is well stocked with books. And this will become important when we get to the rest of the text next week. But the people of Ephesus are very interested in the latest literature and the latest things that have been written. This will become a distraction for this city. Another thing that is I didn't want to show you a picture of, but the city was famous for its brothel. And that would make sense. It's a port city for the sailors, for people who are away from home, a lot of travel. And so that was a big part of the city's life. They had a very interesting uh, method of signage because most of the sailors couldn't read. So you have a large city. How are you going to find the brothel? <laughs> what they did is around town they had footprints carved into the street. And all you had to do was follow the footprints because they all lead into one place, the brothel. That gives you a little bit of an idea what uh, the city was like. But the, the biggest um, part of the city was what was called the Artemisium. Now, go ahead and put that one up there, Jeremy. The Artemisium is actually the home of the goddess Artemis. Now, if you are a Roman, you would call her Diana. Um, she was a female deity, a very seductive-looking deity. And um, her worship, she was worshipped around the ancient world, but her temple was here in this city. And her temple, you have to understand, was huge. It dominated the city of Ephesus. It dominated the skyline. It was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world that you could see in that time. It is 425 feet long, 200 feet wide. The pillars are 60 feet high, each one of them. The home runs that are done by uh, baseball players, the average home run comes in at 400 feet today. The length of this thing is 425 feet. It's, that's how big it is. A couple other things you need to know. That it is solid marble. That's a really wealthy, expensive building. Now, most of the artist's renditions or recreations of the art museum show it as all white because they recognize that it was built of solid marble. But what they don't tell you is the 127 columns around the outside that are each 60 feet tall in the ancient world at this time were completely covered in gold and studded with jewels. Now you see why it's one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It is four times larger than the Parthenon in Athens. And people from around the world come to the city of Ephesus to see this uh, Artemisium and to worship the goddess of Artemis. By the way, it also served as a bank. It was one of the world banks in the ancient world. And, and I tell you this because you have to understand this temple is the dominating 
thought in most people's mind in the city of Ephesus. It is their identity in the world. It is part of their culture. And the worship of this deity just um, controls who they are and what they do. Another thing you need to understand about the city of Ephesus, to understand what it's like for Timothy when he pastors there, is that Ephesus was the center of witchcraft in the ancient world. Sorcery, witchcraft, all kinds of dark spirituality was centered in Ephesus and propagated through Ephesus. Channeling, the ancient version of Ouija boards, they were all made in this city. In fact, the city was famous for its book publishing industry of one particular kind of book. Books on magic and channeling. This is what the city was known for. It was a really dark place. Not just the Temple of Artemis, but the witchcraft that took, there, took place there. Another thing you need to know. The city had a large Jewish population. In fact, when Paul goes to the city, one of the first things he does is he goes into the synagogue and he tried preaching there to try and see if the Jews would turn to Christ. Doesn't work. He moves out and goes to a lecture hall, and that's where he eventually the church begins. But you have to understand they have a lot of Jews in this city. Now, I've given you the background of who Timothy is as a person, that skinny, timid guy with a good Bible knowledge and good gospel knowledge. You've seen what this city is like. It's a quarter of a million people. It's a really dark place, far from God. Now, let me tell you how the church began in the city. And here's what happened. Point number five, the simple preaching of the good news of Jesus transformed the city. When Paul came into the city, which was steeped in the occult, and he started talking about the simple message of the gospel, how God loves us, Jesus died for us, and that we can be born again and saved by simply placing our faith in Him. We find in the book of Acts that very simple gospel message was extremely powerful, and it began to take over the entire city. Acts chapter 19, we find people are coming to Christ, and all of a sudden they're speaking in tongues. They are prophesying. Acts chapter 19, verse 11, we're finding handkerchiefs that Paul used are actually being brought to sick people, and they're healing them. Now, I can tell you something. When I leave a used tissue around my house, nobody grabs it and uses it to heal anybody else. Usually I get in deep trouble because I'm not cleaning up the germs, but Paul's apparently are very different because we're having all kinds of amazing things take place. People who are followers of black magic and who are into witchcraft and seances are turning to Jesus Christ because of the power of the gospel, and they're turning in droves. In fact, if you go to Acts 19, you find that these new Christians who are former Satanists, they decide to have a book burning to get rid of all their books on black magic. And this is like just at the beginning. This is not like the end, at the beginning of the growth of the church. You add up the value and translate it out of the New Testament monetary system, it's $6 million in satanic literature they burn in one setting. The church is growing like wildfire in this city. There are 
thousands of people coming to Christ. To give you an idea of the way this church is in a short time completely transforming the landscape of a city of a quarter of a million people. In Acts chapter 20, we find a man named Demetrius who was a silversmith whose job was to make little souvenir trinkets of the goddess of Artemis to sell. He's discovering that his business is going way down the tubes. Nobody is buying his souvenir trinkets because everyone's turning from Artemis to Jesus. So when you are able to like dent his economic world, you know there's a lot of people in the church. In fact, he stirs up a riot in the entire city against Paul and the Christians because they're changing the landscape. So the picture we have of this church, it is a church of literally thousands and thousands of people that have come to Christ. It is an ancient megachurch. There it is filled with ex-Satanists, ex-Artemis worshipers, and some Jews who have turned away from, who have left following Judaism to follow Jesus instead. And who is left in charge of this church of thousands and thousands of people? It was a really hard place to work. A young guy, a skinny guy with intestinal problems named Timothy. And the only thing he really has going for him is that he knows his Bible and he really knows the gospel. But Paul says that's enough for you to be the leader in this church at this time. And he says, it is so incredibly crucial, crucial that you stay in Ephesus and that you lead the church in this season. Now let me tell you why this is especially crucial. Let's go ahead and look at the problem that was going on in the city at this time. And that's point number six. Spiritual wackos were infiltrating the church. It's true. Acts chapter 20, we find this. Paul writes this as he was leaving Ephesus after planting the church there. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own cells will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. This was four years before, before Paul wrote 1 Timothy, is what we see here in Acts chapter 20. And just like Paul said would happen, this is what's happened. People who are elders, who are inside the church, have risen up. And they are seeking to distract people away from Jesus Christ. Let me give you the situation as best I can give it to you in a short amount of time. You have these ex-Satanists who are really ignorant of the Scriptures, these ex-Artemisians who are ignorant of the Scriptures, and you have these Jewish Christians, and they have turned to Christ, but now they're starting to become the leaders in the church, and what they're saying, you know what you guys need to do? You need to go to the Old Testament. You need to look at all of God's Old Testament laws. And you need to, if you really want to be a good Christian, you have to follow them. 
Paul is going to say, guys, you're missing it. Jesus is the main event. He's not a footnote. And when you start to take your eyes off of Jesus Christ and you put it on anything else, even if it's obeying the Old Testament laws, what you are doing is you are cutting off yourself from your source of life with God. And he's going to go on to say, you know, where did the church begin and who transformed your life? Was it the Old Testament laws when you followed them? Or was it trusting in Jesus? How is your spiritual life sustained? Is it by following a bunch of myths and speculations and Old Testament laws? Or is it by following Jesus? You see, as a church in Ephesus, and even as a church today, which we'll look at a lot more next week, it is easy to take our eyes off of following Jesus Christ and to put it on something else. And when we take our eyes off of the simple faith and trust in God through Jesus Christ, what we do is we cut ourselves off from spiritual power, spiritual health, and spiritual life. And that's going to be Paul's main warning here as we get into the book of 1 Timothy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we could just look at the background of this book. We thank you that Timothy was an ordinary guy who felt completely inadequate for the task at hand. But by following you and trusting you, Lord, and by simply preaching the gospel message and holding firm to that, he'd be able to do what you called him to do. Jesus, we thank you for understanding the challenges that were faced by him in the church of Ephesus. A large church, a complex church, with people who are easily being drawn away from Jesus Christ. And as a young man, he continued to put his finger back into the text and back into the gospel. Heavenly Father, I ask that we would be a church that would continually put our finger back into the text where we find the gospel message and that we would be a, not be a church that is drawn away and distracted to other things other than Jesus Christ. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.